If you have your Bible this morning, turn again to the book of Philippians with me, to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. I want to begin reading in verse 14, go down to verse 18 with you this morning. It says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. But even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Brother, if you step back for a moment as we read this passage... And think about the bigger context of what Paul's been talking about here to the church at Philippi, about unity in the church. And a part of that unity in the church is they're working out their salvation personally and also together as a church. You can clearly see why it is he would now need to address the subject that he addresses here in the passage that we just read a moment ago, and that is the subject of complaining. It's one of the things that will definitely work against unity in any relationship is complaining, disputing. It's hard to maintain peace, unity, oneness, where there is complaining that is taking place. Whether that's in a marriage, whether it's in friendships, whether it's in a family, whether it's in a company, or even if it's in a church. And furthermore, if you stop and you think about it, what Paul has already addressed here in chapter 2, complaining often happens when people are not following what Paul has already said back in verse 3 through 5, where he says, do nothing from selfishness. Do nothing out of empty conceit. Regard other people as more important than yourselves. Don't just look out for your own personal interests. Look out for the interests of others and also have, possess the same attitude in yourselves that you see in Christ Jesus. And that's where he goes on to explain the attitude of humility that Jesus had in willing to empty himself and come down and take on flesh and go to the cross to offer himself as the sacrifice for our sins. But when... A person is primarily looking out for their own interests. And when those interests aren't met, that's oftentimes when complaining will come to the surface. So this morning, we're going to look at this passage together. And I want us to look at it for God to teach us about complaining. And there are three things here in God's Word that He wants to teach us about complaining. And let me give you those three and then we'll go through them together. The first thing that we need to be taught from this passage is the sinfulness of complaining. Just understanding that complaining is a sin. Number two, the significance or the seriousness of complaining. And thirdly, the solution for complaining. The solution for complaining. Let's go back to our text and let's look again in verse 14 and let's see the sinfulness of complaining. 
It's not hard to figure that out. You may not have ever thought about complaining too much as a sin, but it is a sin in the eyes of God. Because when you read this verse, remember, this is a command that God is giving. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. That is, do all things without complaining. When God's word gives us a command or a prohibition here, and we don't follow what God's word says, we all rightly understand that is a sin in the eyes of God. This isn't the only place that God's word speaks about complaining being a sin. In James chapter 5 and verse 9, we're told, Do not complain, brethren, against one another. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 9, we're told, Be hospitable to one another without complaint. Now let's just think about for a moment what we're shared here in verse 14. Let's look at the word of grumbling or disputing. The word for grumbling there speaks about murmuring, muttering in a low voice, maybe even muttering in a low voice to yourself, your displeasure, expressing your dissatisfaction with your circumstances. And, and maybe it's just something that you just mutter to yourself. It's something that's really going on on the inside of you, or you do express it to others. But this is what he's speaking about when he talks about grumbling. The disputing he speaks about the Greek word there is we use to get our English word for dialogue. It's having a verbal exchange of argument in the sense, most likely here, not just with others, but also with God. Wanting to argue with God about life, about your situation. Arguing yet most of those times in your heart with God about what it is that is taking place. And also notice something very carefully. Because I know all of us can be willing to look for exemptions. To say, I understand I'm not supposed to complain except in this situation. Or these circumstances. Or whatever it is that's going on in my life. Go back again and read verse 14. He says, do all things without grumbling. Or disputing. Do all things. Well, but I understand. I, I probably could have just read verse 14 and said, okay, let's close and let's just all pray and ask God to forgive us of our sin. The, we all struggle with the sin of complaining. Maybe we struggle when we're driving in our vehicles with other drivers. Maybe we struggle when it comes to the service and of food. Maybe we struggle with complaining about our government. Maybe we struggle with complaining about our church. Maybe we struggle with complaining about our jobs. Maybe we struggle with complaining uh, about our children. Maybe our children struggle with complaining about their parents. There's just complaint, complaints that take place in our life. And God's word says, do all things without grumbling or disputing without the murmuring, without the disagreeing with God and, and, and struggling in, in that way. Let me just step back from this for a moment and just give you some examples that we can find in Scripture where this took place. You could go back to the Gospel of Luke in the ministry of Jesus. And remember whenever Jesus had come and Levi, who's also Matthew, the tax collector, 
had been called by the Lord Jesus to salvation when Jesus came by his tax collecting booth and said, follow me. And Matthew abandoned everything and began to follow Christ. And he was so excited about the salvation that he had found in Jesus Christ that Jesus was willing to come and approach him even in regards to salvation and calling him to be a disciple of his. He was so excited about it. Remember what he did? He goes and he throws a big party at his house. And he invites all of his friends. Well, the only friends he had were sinners and tax collectors. And that's who he invited to come to be there. And do you remember how did the Pharisees, how did the religious leaders respond to that? Grumbling. They were complaining. Complaining to Jesus' disciples. What's he doing? Why in the world is he going and sitting down and enjoying a party where there's sinners and tax collectors? Here it is, Jesus going out to reach to people that society had thrown away and he was going out to reach them for their salvation, for the gospel, for the grace of God. And they were complaining about that. Lord, we need to always examine our hearts to make sure that we would not be in the same boat. There would be some that we would say we would not want to reach with the gospel and complain. Think about that same type of situation. You go back in the Old Testament, go back to Jonah. Remember the prophet Jonah that God called to go to the city of Nineveh and Jonah ran away from God because he didn't want to go there and we find out towards the end of the book in the fourth chapter, it, it, Jonah has four chapters in it and we're not exactly sure why is it that Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh. It's because Jonah didn't want the Ninevites to be saved. He didn't want them to have salvation. And remember whenever he finally, remember God had had him thrown into a water, swallowed by a big fish and spit out on land to get him there. And finally he comes to his senses in that sense and he goes to the city of Nidima. He walks through the city. He preaches repentance. The whole city repents of their sins. So here you have hundreds of thousands of people who are lost and on their way to hell that now have repented and put their faith in God. They've been saved and you would think the prophet Jonah would have been excited about that but when you come to chapter 4 you find Jonah complaining he's complaining to God he's disputing with God because he says that's why I didn't want to go I knew you were a compassionate loving God and I knew you would show compassion to these people and I didn't want you to show compassion to them Jonah struggled with complaining in his heart, disputing with God. You see it over in the, the Gospel of John and the ministry of Jesus. As Jesus began to teach some very difficult doctrines to the people, at first it says the Jews were grumbling against him. But then as you keep reading in the Gospel of John, it wasn't just the Jews. It says his disciples began to grumble against him. They began to grumble about what he was teaching because they were listening to this and they said, who can hear this? Who can listen to this? And sadly, their complaining led to their actually walking away from Jesus because actually they weren't ever true disciples of Jesus. And Jesus knew that. That's why it says there that Jesus did not entrust himself to them because he knew their hearts and he knew that the majority of his disciples, this large crowd that was following him around, that most of them really didn't believe in him. 
they didn't really trust him. The Apostle Paul addresses this in Romans, in Romans 9, where he talks about God uh, hardening and God showing mercy. And, and he knows as he's, he's talking about this, the people there in their heart want to dispute with God and say, well, why does he still find fault? If God has mercy on whom he has mercy and God hardens who he wants to harden, why does he still find fault? Why? How can they resist his will? And Paul's response back to them was, on the contrary, who are you? Oh man, who answers back to God. The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Or does the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? Paul understanding that as he was teaching some difficult things that some would want to dispute with God about that. But I want you to take for a moment and I want us to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 for a moment. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And we're going to read this little section and then it's going to move us back to the Old Testament. And the reason I want to take the time to do this is because, as I said, I imagine there's not a person in here that can say, I don't, ever commit the sin of complaining. And so I want us to see, because I think the sin of complaining for all of us, including myself, can be a sin that we almost begin to have some kind of respect for. It's the respectable sin. And I want us to see how serious it is in the eyes of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, begin with me in verse 1. He says, now I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. I am meek when face to face with you, but bold towards you when absent. I ask when I am present, I need not be bold with the confidence with which... I'm sorry, I'm in 2 Corinthians, aren't I? Y'all are probably thinking, what in the world? What translation has he started using? All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate from the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were all drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. That is, God killed them in the wilderness. Why? Now these things happened as an example for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it was written, that people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. Now look at verse 10. Nor grumble. That's the same idea we're looking at in Philippians. Grumbling, complaining as some of them did and they were destroyed by the destroyer. 
Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. God recorded these events that we're going to look at here in a moment back in the Old Testament as an example for us to teach us. Because you go through that list and you say idolatry, absolutely. That is a serious sin in the eyes of God. Immorality, absolutely. That is a serious sin in the eyes of God. Testing God, absolutely. That is a serious sin in the eyes of God. Complaining, absolutely. That is a serious sin in the eyes of God. Brother, you go back and you track the Israelites when God delivered them out of Egypt. In Exodus... We see in chapter 15, they start complaining that they want some water. In chapter 16, they start complaining about food. And I want you to go back with me for a moment. Go back to the book of Numbers. Go back to the book of Numbers and go to Numbers chapter 11. And remember what you just read there, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that this was written for our instruction. Numbers chapter 11. Verse 1. Now the people became like those who complain of adversity. That is, they're complaining about their circumstances. They're complaining about their situation. And what's so shocking about this, do you know how long they've been on a journey? Three days. They've just been three days. And here it is. It said they're complaining of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned among them. It consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. Look down in verse 4. The rabble who were among them had greedy desires. And also the sons of Israel wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we used to eat free in Egypt. Now just think about that. Free in Egypt, they were slaves. How they were reinterpreting history in their past. Oh, we remember we had fish, we had cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, garlic. But now our, our appetite is gone. There is nothing at all to look at except this manna. And remember, who provided the manna for them? God did. Here they are complaining about what it is that God had provided for them. Continue on. God provides for them. But I want you to notice something. Go over now to the book of, say in Numbers, go to chapter 14 for a moment. When they've sent out the 12 spies to go out and spy out the land that they're supposed to take, the promised land, they come back. And remember, 10 of the spies give a bad report. And two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, give a good report. How do the people respond? Verse 1 of chapter 14. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the sons of Israel grumbled. They're grumbling against Moses, against Aaron. 
And the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not have been better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us just appoint a leader and just return to Egypt. Moses falling on his face. He's interceding on their behalf. Look at the Lord's response in verse 11. The Lord said to Moses, How long will this people spurn me? And how long will they not believe in me? Despite all the signs which I have performed in their midst, I will smite them with pestilence, dispossess them, and I will make you into a nation greater and mightier than they. But Moses intervenes again on their behalf, asking God to show them mercy and forgiveness. And the Lord does end up pardoning them according to the word of the prayers that Moses had prayed. But, but God does bring down judgment upon them. And that, if you remember, besides Caleb and Joshua, those that were over the age of 20, none of them were able to go into the promised land. It was those that were under that age. Beloved, when you stop and you think about what it is that they're doing, when you think about the sin of complaining, I want you to see what's at the heart of it. Go back to verse 11 in Numbers 14. When God said to Moses, how long will this people spurn me and how long will they not believe in me? You see, grumbling and complaining at the root of it is a lack of faith, is a lack of trust in God, and it is a lack of treasuring God. It's a lack of faith. It's a lack of trust. It's a lack of treasuring God. If you were to go over to the, the book of Hebrews, remember in Hebrews chapter 3, the last part of that chapter, and it moves into chapter 4, that God uses again this situation as an example. And he says, They did not enter my rest because of their unbelief. Because they were actually, as it says in Deuteronomy 32, this was actually a perverse and crooked generation. And they demonstrated that by their complaining. They demonstrated that they were not truly following God as they should have been. Whenever we complain, please remember your complaint ultimately is against God. Because God is sovereign over your life. He's sovereign over every event of your life. I'm not saying God causes bad things to happen. That's not, again, what I'm saying. But I'm saying that there is nothing that happens in this world. There is nothing that's going on in our life whereby God doesn't sovereignly allow it. And if God sovereignly allows it, remember again what we talked about last Sunday in Romans 8, 28. God is causing all things to work together for our good. And so that's what we have to see. So when I complain, I'm saying, God, I don't really like the way you're handling things. I don't like the way you're in control of things. I would rather be in control of my life and not you. 
See, that's the ultimate. So that's saying, I have a lack of trust in you, God, and I have a lack of treasuring of you in my heart and in my life at this moment and at this time. So understand, complaining is a sin. Complaining is a sin. Now let's go back to our text in Philippians 2. And let's see also the significance of our complaining. Our complaining is significant because of the impact that it has on others. Go back to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2, he says, verse 15, so that, that is, he's giving you now the reasons. Don't or do all things without complaining for these reasons. Here's why. Reason number one is because of the impact it will have on your evangelism of the lost. The impact it will have on your evangelism of the lost. He says, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world holding fast the word of life. Summarize all of what Paul is saying right there. He's saying that the unbelieving world that we live in, we live among that what they need to see from us is that we are someone who has credibility. That they need to see that what we want to be and what we want to continue to become is blameless and innocent and above reproach as children of God. That we want, if someone has something to say against us, that it's not going to be because of anything in our character. That we're going to be seen as someone who is blameless, not perfect, innocent, not perfect, above reproach, not perfect. But they're going to see this about our life. They're going to see that there's something different about us. See, we want to prove that as we want to continue to become blameless and innocent and above reproach as children of God, that as we want to be like Jesus, we want to be conformed into his image. If unbelievers are looking at our lives and they see that we have a life of complaining, it undermines our credibility. If we're known as complainers and as those who just want to dispute... It undermines our credibility when it says there in verse 16, we're holding fast, that is, you're holding out the offer of the word of life, which is the gospel. As we're holding out the gospel to people, he's saying we need to shine like the stars in the world. Notice, among whom you appear as lights in the world. That lights there is the luminaries. Just think about the stars in the sky. And think about the darkness of the sky at night. And that is the perverse, crooked generation that we live among. We live in a perverse, crooked generation of its darkness, of its twistedness, of its perversion. And he's saying our lives need to shine like the stars in that dark sky. 
And see, that's why the title of the message was we need to shine, not whine, before others. Because, see, it has an impact on our evangelism of the lost. We are to to be the stars in the sky against this dark world in which we live. We need to be the Caleb's and the Joshua's that came back. And beloved, I'm, I'm sure all of you have been where I've been before in my life at different times where you've been grumbling and complaining before others. And then after you do it, you ask yourself your question, why? What, what was I thinking? Why did I do that? I mean, what does this look like lost people who are around me? What does this even look like to the person that I'm complaining to? What kind of credibility would I have now to share the gospel with them? We just need to remember that there is something bigger at stake than even our rights and what we want. And that is the evangelism of the lost. So it has an impact on that. But secondly, I also want you to understand that complaining, or you're not complaining, has an impact, or will have an impact, at the evaluation of the Lord. Notice again what Paul says. So that, there's another one, in the day of Christ. That's referring to the judgment seat of Christ, that day of evaluation where we will have to come and stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for our life. And he's saying you need to remember that, that one day you will have to give an account for every word that you have said as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I would even say more important than even the lost here is the Lord himself. It's going to evaluate our life as followers of him. And he's reminding the church here at Philippi that one day as well as us will one day be there standing before the judgment of Christ not the judgment for whether we get to go to heaven and be with him forever. That's settled by the Lord Jesus Christ. If you truly put your faith in him, if you truly repented of your sins and put your faith in him, beloved, you, you, that is settled. But there is an evaluation that God will have of our life as followers of him. And just think about when you're standing there before holy God, when you're standing there before King Jesus, Judge Jesus. And you're standing before his judgment seat, his throne. Remember the person that is there, the Lord Jesus himself. And remember what has been said about him over in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 23. It says, while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. But he just kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And it goes on to say there in 1 Peter 2 that he did that to leave that for us as an example to follow in his footsteps. Or remember what it says over in the book of Isaiah in Isaiah 53 verse 7 that he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears so he did not open his mouth mouth. 
Beloved, if anyone would have ever had a legitimate reason to complain about their life, about the way some things were going, it would have been Jesus. Because remember, Jesus committed no sin. Jesus never did anything towards anyone that they had any kind of reason to be complaining. What he taught was always true. What he did was always right. What he said was always right. Whether it was a word of encouragement or a word of admonishment, Jesus always said and did and taught and and healed and ministered always in the way that it was supposed to be done. And yet, he constantly was facing people reviling at him, coming at him, and Jesus never uttered one word of complaint. This is the one you're going to be standing for who's going to be evaluating our lives. And we need to remember that because I think sometimes we can fall prey to thinking, well, I'm going to evaluate myself compared to someone else. Yeah, I think I'm doing pretty good. Well, but he's not going to be the evaluator. Jesus is. And we just need to remember the significance of complaining, that it has an impact on this evaluation of our Lord. But also thirdly, and this one may even surprise you, and what Paul has to say. He wanted them to stop the sin of complaining because of the impact it would have on the encouragement or the excitement or the enjoyment of their leaders. And he's mainly talking about himself. Notice again, go back to our text. Verse 16. He says, So that in that day of Christ, I, Paul, will have a reason to glory. That is a reason to be delightful, excited, encouraged. Why? Because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. He wanted them to also be thinking about him. Think about him as the leader, the one who had poured his life into them. That how encouraged he would be on that day of judgment where he would get to see that all of what he had done and how it had an impact on their life. That what he had done had not all been in vain. You say, well, how could he say that he'd be running or laboring in vain? Well, remember, beloved, let's go back again to the children of Israel. God was their shepherd. God was the one who had brought them out of Egypt. God was the one that was shepherding them through Moses. And yet it is God who said about that generation, they were a crooked and perverse generation. The same thing that Paul says here in verse 15 about the unbelievers in the day in which they were living. Because they had not truly believed. And that's what you can say sometimes. You can look at someone and if it's just a life of dissatisfaction, a life of complaining, just a life of disputing, anything, everything. They could, you could almost say their motto would be, I do all things with complaining. A person needs to examine their heart. Because one of the fruits of a born-again believer is that they are a thankful person. 
They're not a perfect person in that area, but they are a thankful person. They do give thanks to God for their salvation. They do give thanks to God for how he's working in their life. But back to what Paul is saying here, he's saying, look, I want you to even be thinking about me. And even thinking about me, even on the day of Christ, when you're having to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to be thinking about me, that I would be able to be there watching, witnessing this, and be encouraged because I would know all that I did as your pastor, as your leader, as one of those that poured their life into you, that it was none of that was in vain. Let me remember again what the Word of God says in Hebrews, Hebrews 13, 17, that says leaders have to give an account for how they have shepherded the souls that God has put under their care. That's what Paul is drawing on. Brother, we want to be known as a church that loves and encourages and supports the leadership, supports one another, supports the people. And this would even apply to all of the men who have spent substantial time as your pastor and as leaders of this church and the years that they poured into your life, preaching the word of God, teaching the word of God. Paul wanted them to understand the impact of their complaining. Let's go down to verse 17 and 18. And let's look at the solution for complaining. It's very simple. The solution for complaining is rejoicing. The solution for grumbling is gratitude. Paul says, but even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice And I share my joy with you all, and you too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. See, the solution for complaining is cultivating a heart of gratitude, a heart of thankfulness, a heart of joy, a heart of delight in God. It's interesting when you look over in Philippians chapter 4, look over there for a moment. In Philippians 4.4, 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And what's interesting is that comes on the heels of him just telling the church there are two ladies in the church that are not living in harmony with one another and you need to help them to live in harmony with one another. Then right after that, he says, And just rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. We are to be a gracious, grateful people. You say, well, how can I replace grumbling with gratitude? Let me just give you two things to do. They're very simple. One, pray to God. Two, praise God. Pray and praise. The pray is confession, petition, and intercession. If you're struggling with the sin of complaining or grumbling, you need to go to God in prayer and you need to confess that sin. 
We have clearly established from the Old Testament to the New Testament that complaining is a sin. It is a sin against God that is serious in the eyes of God. So you need to come before God and you need to pray and confess that sin before the Lord. Secondly, you need to be petitioning God. That is, you need to be asking God to help you to get out of the habit or the sin of complaining. And you need to ask God to give you and to cultivate in you the right perspective about your life and about your situation so that you can see it the way Paul saw his situation. Remember, Paul is saying, I'm rejoicing, though I may be being poured out as a sacrifice here, even upon your service, your faith, that's how I see myself. I, though I'm, I'm in prison right now and I've had people coming against me, but beloved, I see my life and what's going on as somehow helping you in your faith. So I can rejoice. Whatever's going on, I can rejoice. You need to ask God, petition God to give you that type of perspective. But thirdly, you need to be also in intercession. You need to be interceding. That is, maybe the person or the situation that you're complaining about, you need to be interceding on their behalf. Praying for them. Praying about the situation. Follow the example of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, the cupbearer of the king, remember the report comes back to Nehemiah and the report says the city of Jerusalem is in shambles. The people there are, they are just distraught. The condition of the city and the people is not what it should be. Nehemiah didn't utter a complaint. Nehemiah just turned and got on his face before God and began to pray. And he began to pray and he confessed his sin and he interceded on the behalf of his people confessing their sins and he petitioned God that God would show him favor in place of the king so that he could get back to the city to doing what it is that God would want him to do. He began to pray, not complain. Secondly, praise God. Praise God because you know whatever the situation is that you're complaining about, God is using that for your good. So you can praise Him. Also praise God that if you're finding yourself in a situation that you would want to complain, that he's actually see it as an opportunity he's giving you to shine as a light in this dark world in holding forth the gospel. So that someone can look at you and say, there's something different. There's something different here. And praise God for even the person or the situation at hand. Even the person that maybe you just want to complain the most about or against. Beloved, ask God to help you to give a heart of thanksgiving in some form, some fashion for them. And praise Him. Praise the Lord. Beloved, as we think about this sin of complaint, again, as I say, we need to confess our sins before the Lord. And again, I just remind you of the precious promise that we're given in the book of 1 John that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Thus, God will forgive us and cleanse us of all of our complaining, all of our grumbling. We need to confess it before our Lord. Beloved, maybe you're sitting here today and you realize, you know what? What this is telling me is I need to truly put my faith in Christ. 
I truly need to be born again. I truly need to repent. I truly need to fall on my face and surrender my life to Christ and trust Him as my Savior and Lord. I would plead with you, encourage you to do that this morning. I want to ask you to bow your heads in prayer.